for your husband or your neighbors or whatever that may be. Now, we have two more sessions of this specific series. Um, but like with any of the series that we do, the challenge is that we heed the Word of God. And as the Spirit takes that Word and presses upon our heart personal convictions, that we will respond in obedience that we will live out the truth that God challenges us with from his word. And over the past month, we have been looking at and interviewing various people within the church. Now, the current person that I asked to do this messaged me this morning and said that they were not feeling well. So I had to do a quick changeover, and I have asked my brother, Bill, if he could... Oh, sorry. (laughs) Cass... Delete the picture, yeah. But it was supposed to be Cass who was, uh, who was coming up. So we could delete that picture, brother, and we'll just leave Uncle Bill up there. It was supposed, Cass was the original person. Um, so delete the picture. My apologies. And so um, it'll be, uh, it's, it's Uncle Bill that I wanted to invite. And the reason why I really want to do Uncle Bill is because there is a, a unique context which some of the uncles and aunties may actually experience. Um, a lot of the young people, to an extent, I know Jimmy could probably identify with what uh, Brother Bill would share with us. So please make our brother feel welcome and give him a round of applause as he comes up and shares with us. So I, I sent Uncle Bill the six questions via text while we were doing worship. But I probably, I, I probably, well, because I asked him this morning, he was on welcome. Thank you so much for being part of the welcome team, brother. And I asked him this morning and, and he was like, just off the cuff. Yeah, bro, just off the cuff. And so I would like to say thank you so much for responding and, and doing this for us. Come, come to the middle, please, brother, so everybody can see you. Don't be shy. And so, I, so, so, brother, if you don't mind me asking, what, so what do you actually do in regards your career, your profession, your, your chosen job? Well, I, um, I run a couple of businesses, uh, both <laughs> one of them to do with electronics and the other ones to do with air conditioning. Okay, so that's the first thing I want to... He actually runs the companies. He's not yeah. wor- you're not working for anybody. You're, you are the CEO. You're the head honcho. You're, you're the big man on campus. Well, with the electric- Don't be humble, brother. <laughs> <laughs> uh, with the electrical business, uh, I own it uh, entirely. But with the air conditioning, I own 60% of that company. Oh, so yeah. you're the major shareholder. Okay, yeah. so, so I, my, okay, then my question, this is where all the questions change now. Yep. So, so then, one, um, mm. I guess my first question would be, why this then? Why did you choose this specific in regards as opposed to working for someone, you yourself being the man in charge? So how, come that, how, how did that come about? Well, when I uh, got transferred to, to Sydney to work for a company... And I was uh, suddenly told that uh, I don't have a position anymore, and I moved my family from Melbourne to Sydney. So I had to make a quick decision what to do to work for somebody else, apply for a job, or start something. So I decided to start something. That's awesome, mate. Well, (laughs) I'll just make my own job then. (laughs) I can see some wonderful pictures for sermons from that, both good and bad. (laughs) So I praise God. I think that's, I think that's awesome. Okay, so, so then for you then as a Christian, having or being responsible not only for your business mm. but your employees, uh, how do you conduct yourself or how does your faith affect the way you lead your particular businesses? Well, first of all, when I first started business, I wasn't a Christian then. Oh, okay, sorry. So it I was apologize. some years later I okay. became a Christian, around about uh, the year 2000. 
And uh, so obviously it changed the way I uh, view things. And in a company, it was a fairly small company then. And uh, as years goes by, there are more staff with different state. The strange thing, as I was uh, thinking about for the last few seconds when you uh, posted those <laughs> questions to me, uh, I reflected on uh, the workplace. And generally, I don't get to see my staff that much. And uh, only because there's a lot of uh, pressure to get things done. Yeah. And so you say hello to them in the morning and then dis disappear for the rest of the day. And this may uh, happen almost every day like that. So even in my office, there may be one or two people working there, but I see them for a short while and they're busy. So, yeah. Okay, then. So then if you're in this sort of, I, I guess you could say almost isolated position, being, yeah. being the boss, how then do you conduct yourself in a godly manner in the way you interact with your clients and the way you treat the staff? Because being a person on the ground, often we look at the people in charge and think, ah, they don't know, or a lot of the times they complain about our employers as opposed to the, the fellow employees. So how then do you conduct yourself in a very godly manner in regards to clients as well as your staff? You try to be uh, as uh, Christ-like as possible in uh, situations where there are conflicts. And uh, believe me, when you have more and more staff working for you, there's an increasing number of conflicts that you have to try to find a way to resolve in a, as godly manner as possible. And uh, quite often, there's some silly things they do, so you, you are tempted to, to raise your temper and yell at people. But in the workplace these days, you've got to be very, very careful with things yeah. like that. And e even in talking about uh, religious matters, you've got to be very, very careful to observe that. So then, is there ever an opportunity for you to communicate, not only in action, but also in word, the, the gospel and the good news that's affected your life? Uh, yes. When, when they, I mean, some of them uh, strike some issues at home, you try to be uh, understanding and accommodating and help them to take time off or speak to them uh, in uh, as friendly and in a counseling way. And I can remember the best opportunity I have to share the gospel is when I'm away overseas with some customers where you get to live, uh, you know, three days uh, in the hotel from uh, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You got lots of exposure to them. And that's when you can really share your life and, your go and the, the gospel message. That's awesome. Yeah. I have two more questions. One... Have you had to fire people? Uh, no, not yet. Not yet. <laughs> wow. Wow. Okay, we'll ask, we'll ask Jimmy to come up later and share something for us <laughs> a little bit later on. The last, question, the last question is, how can we as your church family, for a lot of us, we, and, and, I, and I mean, Jimmy could probably identify, and Uncle Fred, and, and a lot of the uncles could probably identify with the guys running a business. A lot of us don't. A lot of us don't and, and don't understand that. So how can we best pray for you and support not only you, but those that are in leader, leadership positions in the marketplace. So how can we best pray for you in the role that you have? Uh, for greater opportunities, particularly uh, people who have a, a, a special uh, need, spiritual need, and to uh, be willing to talk about it with you uh, and not be afraid to approach, uh, I guess, the boss of the company to talk about things like that. And uh, also wisdom in terms of yeah. being able to uh, uh, have time away from work 
and focus on personal issues. That's yeah. awesome. That's, bro, I, I would love to pray for you right now. If you just want to stretch your hands out as we pray for our, our brother Bill at this moment, I think it's a wonderful opportunity we have to pray for him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for our brother Bill. We thank you for not only saving him and making him your own, but for allowing him this wonderful privilege to minister and look after not only but one but two businesses where he might be able to shine as a light for you. We pray for him that he might continue to demonstrate a godliness and a righteousness and a grace that is not found anywhere else in this world, that can only be found and manifest through the power of your Spirit. We ask that you will empower him now that in his workplace, that he might have wisdom and discernment to be able to see various things going on and address them accordingly. Father, that you will give him an understanding of the employees and their situations and be able to show a love and a counsel that can only be explained as divine gifting. So, Father, we commit him into your hands now that you will help him to be Jesus to those that he cares for, uh, not only in the workplace, but the clients that he looks after, um, the various business dinners that take place, that he will have a godly integrity that will shine brightly the wonderful love of Jesus. So we commit him into your hands now and everybody else that's in a major leadership position in the marketplace, that you will anoint them as your servants, that you will empower them as your people, that you will guide them as your children. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Give our brother a big round of applause. Thank you very much for that. I hope you've liked some of these interviews. I, I've really enjoyed doing the interviews and, and, and speaking. Once again, I want to acknowledge Pamela. Pam, is the, when she get to know a GCC, I began this a little while ago, and I think it would be good to actually continue and be able to get to know everybody, not just in the workplace, but just in church in general, uh, some of the uncles and aunties, grandparents and things. So at some stage, you are going to be approached. I like to try and give a week's notice, but you will be approached, and I will ask you if I can interview you, or the speaker of that day will interview you, um, to be able to get to know you guys a bit better, and we can pray for you. I think that would be a wonderful thing to do. Before I do the reading this morning, I wanted to just share a couple of things with you regarding our series on work as worship. Over the past four weeks, we've looked at things that, for want of a better word, have focused mainly on us and our responsibility, whether it be the resolve and drawing the line in the sand, whether it be the, the willingness to lead and, and to make a stand in various contexts we find ourselves in. And, and even last week when we, we looked at the devotion of, of 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, about being focused for the things of God above all else, not being concerned with the affairs of civilian life, so that we might please him who is our commanding officer. And even that in and of itself, when I asked you to write on a piece of paper and present it to the Lord, the burdens and the distractions and the hindrances that prevent you from living a life devoted to our Lord and Savior. And so today's encouragement is for us to, I guess you could say, to focus, to reestablish and get first things first, because while we have a lot of responsibilities on our part, our Christian life is a joint venture with our Savior. It is with our God that we walk, with His instruction, with His guidance. 
And so today I wanted to share, I think, one of the greatest encouragements for us as the people of God, and, and that is found in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 42. And I am only going to read three verses for you, which is verses 1 to 3, or the first half of verse 3, which says this, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In this small passage, and I'm only going to look at one of these verses, this is the same passage that Matthew uses to describe Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior in Matthew chapter 12, verses 15 through to 21. And in this passage, we have three basic things. Who he is, that he is God's chosen servant in whom God delights, upon whom God's spirit rests in order to set right the injustices of sinful humanity before God and toward each other. We also see in this passage how he acts. He acts in the humility of his character the living of godly integrity, and the communication of righteousness both in word and in deed, which manifests itself in this third point of what he does. And it is in this verse I want to share with you the greatest of encouragements regarding our Lord and Savior to us in each of our individual, specific, and unique contexts. And that's the verse there. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. A bruised reed, a smoldering wick. One will not be broken, the other will not be snuffed out. In what way is the character, the compassion, the grace, and the goodness of God demonstrated in this specific description? That's found in the, the, the two titles that he gives, that of a bruised reed and a smoldering wick. Now, when you think of reeds, the image that comes forth are not the ideas of strength or power or endurance. When you think of reeds, the things that spring forth are usually they're numerous, they're flimsy, and they're very flexible. That's usually the things you think about when you talk about reeds. This is a picture taken, I googled it, I, I, I googled in reeds in Israel. And apparently this is along one of the banks in the Jordan River. So, I do think it necessary though, though while we think of reeds as flimsy and flexible, numerous, basically weak, I do think it necessary to look at some aspects of the reeds that we may not consider. 
So while they do not scream strength and power, they do speak of resilience and perseverance. Why? Because reeds are usually grown in wetlands on the banks of the river where there is muck, where there is dirt, where there is silt. They take root in some of the... Have you ever walked on the side of a river and you've taken a step in and everything's just soft and mushy and it goes between your toes? That's where reeds take root. And what I find interesting is that as these reeds take root, they spring forth, they push through the muck and through the mire, through the water themselves in order to discover light, to discover warmth, and to discover fresh air. Which I think is actually quite valid because this imagery of a reed is a good description and representation of us as people. For example, we are born in sin, according to Psalm 51.5. We are dead in those sins and in those transgressions, according to Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. And because of those sins and those transgressions, we are destined for judgment, according to Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. It is appointed unto man once to die, and after that, judgment. You can see that we, as people, we experience the muck and mire of this world that we, as people, then long for something more. I know before I was a Christian, I had to ask, and I've shared this a number of times in my testimony, I still remember this very vividly when I looked at a drink of bourbon, for some reason I was a bourbon drinker, I would uh, drink of bourbon in my hand, and I said to myself, there has to be more to life than this. There has to be. There is placed within us, according to Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, eternity placed within our hearts by God. Eternity is We long for something more. This is the reason why, when you look around today, people are trying to find meaning, find purpose, find fulfillment in whatever context there may be. It might be in their careers, it might be in their relationships, it might be in making money, it might be in having investments, it might be in accomplishments. Read through Ecclesiastes and you see this demonstrated over and over and over again as Solomon seeks to find some sort of answer to his life in what he does or what he attains, or what he hopes to attain. We have within us eternity placed within our hearts, therefore we long for something more. This is why C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite quotes, if we find ourselves with the desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. If we find ourselves with a desire that nothing in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we were made for another world. We, as people, search out an answer for this desire. But unlike the reed, we are given a clear picture within the Scriptures about how the Son, Jesus Christ, laid aside his glory 
and brought the warmth and the fresh air and the illumination and the enlightenment from the heavens to the muck and to the mire. In the person of Jesus Christ, we are given a glimpse of that something more. And in the teaching that he gave and the life that he lived and the miracles that he performed gave us an insight into that which is beyond the muck and the mire. And that in his sacrifice, in the giving of his life, he liberates us from that so that we can fully experience that for which we have been designed and created for. This is wonderfully summed up in Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 8. Who, Jesus being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. This passage was explained wonderfully by Nabil Qureshi, who worked with Ravi Zacharias International Ministry and passed away uh, just uh, several years ago. Uh, it was called Home to Glory. But when he explained this verse in a very simplistic way, because I am a simple man, it basically meant this, that Jesus looked at everything he had, the position that he held, the relationship that he shared, and then he saw you in the muck and mire of your own sinfulness. And he said, I, I will lay this aside, every advantage that I have as being the Son of God in glory, in perfection, I will lay aside so that you and I could be made clean and set free from the muck and the mire and the filth of my own sin. That is how much you are loved by Jesus that he waited up, he waited up and said, this I will put aside for you, so that you might be made new. And I think that's amazing, which, as a side note, that's what these reeds represent now. That represents you and I, freed from the muck and mire in the presence of the Son, enjoying that which he breathes upon us, the, the, the freedom that we have from our own sinful nature. Which, on a side note, this is a side note, I think is really interesting. Because a reed by itself is pretty much useless. Like, I mean, I know when I, where I lived, it was a very similar type place. Um, my brothers and I would take reeds and use them as spears, throw them at each other, sometimes put nails in the end so it could hurt each other. I don't recommend doing that, please, okay? Uh, but by themselves, they're pretty useless. A reed finds its usefulness and its strength in numbers. A reed, like we used to make cubby houses in, in, the, in the bush. We had a bush right next to our place. We used to make cubby houses. We would use reeds to make the walls and to thatch roofs. We'd use reeds to create beds to lie on. While one reed is pretty much useless, there's no good for anything, many reeds are very useful and have an advantage that a single reed doesn't. So, this is my, my side note. If we are individual reeds, our strength that God has given us is each other. 
our usefulness that God has blessed us with is each other. The effect that we can have as a group of people can make an impact in the community more so than probably one of us could. Which reminds me, by the way, and I was talking with my brother Craig, I need 22 volunteers. 22 volunteers. Yeah. Right now, everybody's like, 22. The only reason, I actually need 24, but I have two already. Kenny and Julie have already volunteered. I need 22 volunteers to write a letter for me. I will give you a template, and it's a letter to write to a prisoner. You don't have to know their name. I'll send you the template. But it has to be handwritten. Just a little A5, which is the size of that. Where you, these, these, where these inmates, when I go into the prison with this particular ministry, um, I get to give them, as they come to a Bible study for four days, for, I think it's for four hours each day, being in the ministry of the Word of God and sharing with them, praying for these gentlemen, prayerfully bringing them to the Lord, then I get to give them a letter from you to say, I've been praying for you, here's some encouragement. 22, 22. So I'm going to... If you don't come to me, I'm, I'm just going to come to you. Okay? I'm just letting you know. But think about it. This is where you, as a reed, can have an impact for the kingdom of God. And that one reed, you could write down a little letter to encourage a brother that comes to know the Lord in a dark, dark place. Where the effectiveness we have as a community can help change a life. You can do it in the comfort of your own home. You could do it right now while I'm talking. Don't, but I'm just saying you could. Okay, so, all right, so, now, back to this. Now, I've been focusing on what a reed is, okay? But the description of a bruised reed here is important. A bruised reed has had its structural integrity compromised. You'll notice this if you've ever taken the inside, to- inside roll of a, of, of a hand towel. So you buy those paper towels, and you take the roll that's on the inside. Okay, if you ever like sort of just flick that and you cause a little dent in it, what happens? It folds. And then once it folds, it loses all structural integrity. Like if you have it, if you have it upright, you can rest a book on it. Not a problem. You can put as many books as you can and see how long it lasts before it falls over. But if you crack it, put it back up again, put one book on, what happens? The structural integrity is gone. It's no good anymore. A bruised reed has lost its structural integrity. A bruised reed can no longer effectively bend with the pressure that is applied to it. As I, you know, although it may remain whole, it now just flops there. It, it, it's, it's no good. A bruised reed is essentially useless now. In the scriptures, I am told that a bruised reed, although good for nothing, that the Lord's chosen, God's servant, will not break it. Even though it's useless. Even though the structural integrity has been compromised, it is not cast off. A bruised reed is not cast off. A bruised reed is not forgotten. A bruised reed is not according to God's chosen insignificant. Rather, God's chosen takes that bruised reed, nurtures such a bruised reed, heals it, and brings wholeness back to it. That's what God's chosen does. Now, you see how this may apply to us, that even as Christians, we may feel 
bruised. We may feel ineffective in the roles God has given us, bruised through the hurts caused to us, bruised through the mistakes we have made, bruised through the epic failures we have done or the silly, silly decisions that we have followed through on. You see, the joy of this description is that the focus is not on our ineffectiveness, is not on our hurts, is not on our mistakes or failures or our silliness. Rather, focus is placed upon God's chosen servant who chooses not to break that which is bruised, not to cast away that which has failed, not to, not to consider insignificant that which has been hurt. This is our Savior. And all of us have been bruised in one way or another. We have made ourselves ineffectual because of things that have taken place in our past. Things that I asked you to bring up last week and placed on the communion table. The burdens, the hindrances, the distractions to bring before your Savior and say, Lord, I want to be free of this. I give it to you. And, and which we, like if you remember the dead rooster story, that we often take back and bring back up again. No, our, our Savior does not do such things. The reference is to God's chosen servant, whom we are told, upon whom the Spirit rests in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, who will bring mountains down, who will fill in the valleys, who will smooth out the rough ways and make the crooked paths straight, according to Luke chapter 3, verse 5 to bring justice to the poor and brokenhearted, Luke 14, 18 and 19, that Chris made reference to this morning. It is upon our Savior who takes us, the tired, the bruised, the thirsty, and the hungry, and says, and this is what he says to you and I, he says, come. He says, come. Come, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come and I will heal you, Matthew 12, 15. Come, I will quench your thirst, John 7, 37. Come, and I will feed you, John 6, 35. You see, here is where we need to start as bruised reeds. If we have sought to lay aside the distractions and the burdens and the hindrances that prevent us from living effectively for eternity, then we must begin by knowing that, like a loving parent, he invites us to find our sustenance, our comfort, our acceptance in him and in him alone. Because a bruised reed, he will not the second description, which won't take so much so, so long, is a smoldering wick. Whereas a bruised reed is about the nurture and care of the Lord to the damaged, this description of a smoldering wick is about involvement and investment into the lives of his people. Let me explain. This is an oil lamp. I typed in Israeli oil lamp. That's what it gave me. And there's a lot of them, which I think is quite cool. And like most oil lamps, the wick has its end soaked and dipped in the oil that will allow it to continually burn. 
The wick is a conduit for the oil, usually olive oil, so that the flame is sustained by the continual supply of oil as opposed to burning the wick down. Now, should the wick somehow be removed from the oil, should somehow the wick be burnt down, whatever it might be, what results is it goes from a flame to a glowing ember. And the glowing ember does nothing else but smoke. It just smokes. It fills as, I mean, think about it. If you're in a tent with a lamp whose flame has gone out and it's merely an ember, it just fills the tent up with smoke. What happens? It's no longer anything of use to you. It pollutes the air. It causes you to choke. It irritates the eyes. It becomes completely useless. You can do one of two things when you have a smoldering wick. You can either, one, somehow connect the wick back to the oil so it'll be reignited, or two, extinguish it completely. Those are the two options. So, again, brings us to what God's chosen will do. Much like the bruised reed, the smoking wick or the smoldering wick is not to be put out. Rather than snuff it out, the Lord would much rather, in long-suffering and patience, painstakingly invest into fanning and waning the glow of this pitiful ember until it becomes a flame again. To reignite that ember into a flame, which is done how? If you've ever played with fire, which as a male, I have continually. But when you, if you've ever had been to a bonfire and you go the next day and there's only embers. And I remember this being done at one of the camps we had. The one that was like with the dirt, the dirt ground. What was that camp? Um, the one with the dog and the dirt ground and Eleanor Heights. Eleanor Heights, yes. Because a bunch of kids went out there again and there was the leftover of the bonfire from the night before. And my kids and some other kids, I'll blame other kids, but other kids started the fire again. How did they start it? What they do? They sat around it. They gave it some fuel, and then they did this. And then it took off again. If we have somehow been separated from the anointing power of God's Spirit, you know what God desires to do? To reconnect us with the Spirit and then breathe on us to reignite the flame, the flame of devotion, the flame of love, the flame of compassion, the flame of enthusiasm. He desires to blow on that ember within our lives to reignite it and once again be useful, to reignite it where it provides warmth, to reignite it where it provides illumination, to reignite it where it provides enlightenment. Perhaps that's what our Lord Jesus desires to do for us now, which means this, is there something in your life that has caused you to be separated and to no longer be connected to the Spirit of God within your own individual context? Is there something that, like I said, it might be the hurts that have been caused. It might be a bad attitude that you have towards a brother or sister within the church. It might be an an, an inadequacy that you have measured up against others that you shouldn't. It's maybe that of doubt, maybe that of a, a lack of faith, maybe that you think God is unfair. Whatever it might be, I would encourage you to ask the Lord to show you. And ask the Lord to reconnect you to His Spirit. 
as you repent. Because here's what's really exciting about all of this. When I look at a bruised reed, when I look at a smoldering wick, I see broken things that our God can take to use effectively for his kingdom. And you see this full of the scriptures. Joseph, if you look at Joseph, and we we looked at him a few weeks ago, you take Joseph, who was a spoiled, he was was a spoiled brat. He was a snitch. He was a guy that was imprisoned. He was betrayed. He He was falsely accused. And yet this broken man, God took to use for his glory. You look at, at so many other people. We look at Moses. Moses, was a, he was an educated murderer, an educated murdering prince that God took out to the wilderness and transformed to be the deliverer of Israel from Egypt. You look at Gideon, who was, he was a coward and a man full of doubt, that God took from a wine press and by his grace answered several, asked for several signs which God answered that God took to do an amazing thing to deliver God's people from the Midianites with 300 men. You look at Daniel and his friends that we've looked at over the last several weeks, whether it be Daniel, I mean, intelligent men, smart men, and yet... God used these guys who were captive prisoners to make an impact in society. You take the disciples, you take fishermen, you take tax collectors, you take zealots, you take people that were outcasted on the fringes that Jesus took and turned the world upside down. You look at the Saul of Tarsus who in Acts 9 on the road to Damascus has an experience with the Lord Jesus Christ that completely transforms his life where he goes from being the greatest opponent to the greatest proponent for the kingdom of God. These, these people are bruised broken, smoldering wicks that God took and did amazing things that we now are even talking about them thousands of years later because of what God can do with that which is broken. You know what that means? That the smoldering wick, the bruised reed that you and I may be, God says, great. Because I can do amazing work in and through you. And we see this in 1 Corinthians. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness holiness, and redemption. This is our Savior. This is our God who takes that which is bruised, that which is smoldering, that which is broken, who takes you and I to do amazing things for the kingdom of God. 
So I leave you with the reality that for our work as worship is that we are where God has called us to be to represent Him no matter what the context is, to glorify Him, to show the love of Jesus for Him, and to make an impact for His kingdom. That is my encouragement. Bruised reeds, smoldering wicks, take comfort. Your Lord is there. Um, if I'll ask you to be upstanding, we won't close on a song, but I'll ask you to be upstanding. I'll close in prayer. And I would really encourage you to pray for somebody around you before you leave, please. You don't have to bear your soul or bear your heart and say whatever's going on, but I would encourage you to just pray for somebody because the person next to you is just as bruised as you are, but we serve the same God. If you'd be outstanding, I want to close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are a gracious, loving, compassionate God. Thank you that you are, Lord Jesus, God's chosen servant, the one in whom you uphold, that you have placed your spirit upon to bring justice to all. Thank you that you, Lord Jesus, take us who are bruised, us who are smoldering, and that you do not break us, you do not snuff us out, but rather nurture us, involve yourself with us, change us, challenge us, and bring us and use us for your glory. Father, I pray that you will help us to lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily entangles us. Help us to focus upon you and, and in our particular context, glory in the fact that you've allowed us the opportunity to represent you in our marketplace, in our homes, and in our communities. We ask you to dismiss us now and to take us from here in the power of your spirit to shine boldly for the kingdom of God. Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or imagine according to the power that works within us. Unto you be glory in the church, both now and forever, even to the end of the age. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Thank you very much, brothers and sisters. The prayer team will be at the front. If you'd like to be prayed for, we would love to pray for you this morning.